Good morning. We're, we must be calling from some dewy green meadow in Ireland somewhere. <laughs> um, this is uh, HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Good morning, Stacey. Good morning, John. I really wish we were calling from, from some dewy green place in Ireland. I, I, it's been a long time since I've been to Ireland, but I, I it, it's a lovely place. I would love to go back. But, no, I'm calling from a very beige conference room in Atlanta. So, <laughs> no dewy green. Ah, How about you? <laughs> is, is, is beige the color of Atlanta? I think so. I think so. color of Atlanta. Maybe we could talk about the, the, the sort of the heat that's rising off the the, 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 the ground right now. It's uh, pretty close to it. But, yeah, uh, the room that I'm in is all beige, so <laughs> my headquarters. That's that's good. It keeps you neutral. It keeps you neutral. That's right. Yeah. So so what's in the mailbag today? Well, it's, it's not been a busy week. I think, you know, people are starting to, you know, wrap up. There's been a lot of holidays, obviously, this week, so I think the news cycle is a little bit slow, and then there's a lot of people sort of – getting ready for vacations and graduations. Um, so, um, but there's been a couple of things, and, and we still have some leftovers from last week to talk about, too. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have a full uh, conversation this week. Um, uh, a couple of sort of um, association or, or, or sort of nonprofit announcements. Um, IRAM, the group that I've been on the board for now for the last year, um, the International HR Information Management Association, uh, they launched a new HRIP certification exam platform this, this week. Um, uh, talk a little bit about why certifying the HRIP professional, which is the HR information professional, might be important these days. Um, the Cornerstone on Demand Foundation announced uh, a workforce ready um, uh, to help prepare underrepresented job seekers for today's career. That's a, a partnership with Pixel Exchange. I think that's really fascinating when we think about sort of, you know, are the vendors that we're working with sort of putting their money where they've been talking, right? Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit more. I know you're going to be at Cornerstone next week, so we can have a good conversation about that. Yep. Um, we also have um, some interesting news coming out of the HRMS space, Paycor, for those of you who know, sort of a, an SMB growing into the mid-market space, um, uh, core HRMS payroll application um, that's been sort of expanding their their um, suite for quite some time now, acquiring, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, it's Zimbal or or symbol X-I-M-B-L-E scheduling. Um, so that's a scheduling tool, I think, that will really expand their capabilities. So we can talk about that. Um, Absorb Software, um, which is a learning application, uh, announced the acquisition of Torch LMS, which is continuing to be the consolidation of the LMS space. Um, and we're also seeing in the learning space that Open Sesame raised $28 million in growth equity. Um, and then a really big amount for smart recruiters raising $50 million to help companies hire the best talent. So I think there's some AI plans there. Um, and then um, if we have a little time, um, you know, I think it's worth talking about a small um, startup, a, a, a mental well-being benefits platform that announced a $9 million Series A funding, um, but they're focusing on modern mental health, not just wellness as we sort of tend to describe it these days. Um, and then from last week, we have some great conversations about Google's new frames, uh, framework tools that are coming out for sort of their mobile user experience and AI, artificial intelligence uh, work, as well as um, Box and um, Citrix coming out with more sort of workforce application tools that are probably worth us paying attention to. So not a lot, but I think some interesting stuff going on this week. 
Um, well, anything new in your neck of the woods that would add to this? You, you know, I, I am I am 70 demos into the research for next year's report on the state of AI, and so I am I am I am bleeding um, <laughs> marketing language about AI. Um, yeah. <laughs> but 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 I haven't really seen. I guess the thing that I'm seeing that's most interesting right now is the depth to which people are um, integrating intelligence in their applications. So so it's not true across the board. But but one thing that that is worth thinking about is um, the more expansive. A, an application is so the more like a suite it is, uh, the more numbers of places where there will be HR in it. I saw a chart yesterday um, from a company that has about 80 different uh, places inside of their talent acquisition software where they have um, machine assist in doing the work. Uh, and hmm. And I think it's just going to get deeper and denser and denser. We were trying to figure maybe you have an idea about this. I wonder what the total number of discrete decisions an HR department can make is sort of repeatable decisions like, like promote or don't promote or discipline or don't discipline or coach in this way or coach in that way. I think it might be like 10,000. The, the, the yeah, universe I mean, of HR decisions might be 10,000. Yeah, you know, I think it, it depends a bit when you, you know, what you include in HR, right? So if you're talking about talent and recruiting and um, some of the traditional HR functions, I think you could get in the 10 to 20,000 range. I think once you go out to the workforce management, which is the operations side, there that number could climb pretty high because it has a lot to do with things like scheduling and what people can work and how they can work and whether they're certified, right? Those kind of things. I think there you're probably looking at much more like 50 or a hundred thousand questions that people are making on a regular basis. Right. So I think it depends on what you include in it, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting question or conversation, you know, and I think you could actually come to a number probably somewhere. Imagine that that's actually the number of places where you'll find intelligence being embedded in software that every one of those decisions somebody is going to come up with a scheme for making that uh, particular decision more intelligent making that decision come with recommendations um right right and so then the question is um how do you manage that and how do you know if the recommendation that you're getting is right Right. It's it's like it's like the machine has all the data, the machine delivers the data to you, and then you have to bet on a gut feel about whether or not you think it's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that so so that raises some interesting things. I've been I've been deeply discussing the question of how you figure out um whether or not the intelligent tool is doing what it's supposed to do and how you tell when it isn't. Um, and, and I think these are things that that HR leaders are going to need to know pretty quickly. And that probably rolls into the work that you're doing with IRAM for certification, huh? Yeah, very much so. I was just going to say, man, you were just, you were just handing me a nice lead off there, John. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is, um, you know, this is actually, so about a year and a half ago, I was asked to join the IRAM board, and IRAM's been struggling. For those who know the association, it sort of went through a big sort of, I think, um, uptick in the, in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, as uh, HR applications were sort of taking off at enterprise levels. And then it, it struggled for the last couple of years, trying to figure out, I think, its footing and where it fit into the market as we went to cloud technology. Um, and what we found as I started sort of getting into IRAM is that, um, the, the role that IRAM supported, the HRIT technologist, the HRIS manager, the HRI, you know, P professional, information professional, that role was morphing. And while it was morphing, I think people were trying to figure out where it fits. Um, but it is exactly the role you're talking about because I don't see the VP of HR or the head of talent or the head of learning they know they have to understand what kind of algorithms are built inside the systems and what kind of you know insight it's providing, but I don't see them understanding the whys and the hows and what they should be checking and what they should not be checking. I think that's going to sit squarely in the information management role that is focused on HR. And it can't be an IT professional. This has to be someone who understands HR processes. And so what we're doing in um, IRAM right now and the role that I've been um, heading up is we're actually working on updating the certification for the information professional um, uh, uh, certification. Um, and while we're doing that, we're actually rolling out a new platform. That's the announcement this week um, is that the platform is coming right now so people can sort of have a better user experience, uh, get better updates and emails on, on you know, their passing grades and everything in the exams and manage some of their continuing education credits. But um, by August, we'll also have this brand new updated certification program that will cover some of the things you're talking about. Artificial intelligence, algorithm management, uh, security, data privacy, questions that just weren't a big issue you know, five years ago in the HR technology space. So um, I think it's more important than ever to make sure we have um, an association or a group of people who are validating the skill sets needed for the professionals working in this technology area. Based on what you're saying, these technologies are going to be making decisions that at this point we have managers in HR making, correct? Well, so 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 I I've I've got I'm doing a a, a wonderful presentation for um Cornerstone next week and um there's this there's this great slide that says the enemy is sloth. Um and <laughs> And what that means is when the machine makes a recommendation, it's going to be a percentage bet. Um, And like all percentage bets, that means that it's wrong some percentage of the time. Um, And so the question for the decision maker is whether or not to accept the machine's recommendation. Yeah. Right, and and if you if you do if you if you understand that that's the job, it may actually be harder to start with the question, "What if the machine's wrong?" Than yeah. it is to just go through the normal process of having a gut hunch and making a decision. Right, because you have to be decidedly more rational. So 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 it makes me wonder in your in your certification. Work, how do you keep it up to date? How do you stay on top of the the trends? Yeah, yeah. that's actually one of the things. Yeah, that's one of the things that when I first came into this, I you know because the, the certification has been rolled out in twenty two thousand and nine, updated in two thousand and fifteen, but because the market changed so fast, 
it had to be rolled up. So we're actually building in, in, into this, but I think anything that's, that's dealing with this kind of conversation, right, skill sets or the algorithm management or things, we're building in an annual review now of the certification questions to see how much they have to change each year. And I think there will be a sort of a rolling model of things that will change almost on a yearly basis. And those who are certified will have to go back eventually and get, you know, retake the test. It's, it's actually the, the newest conversation in certifications. Instead of doing just continuing education credits, at a certain point, everyone should have to go back and retake the test, right, to, to, to make sure that the behaviors and background are understood. Um, that's kind of a hard thing to think about, but it fits with the continuing education model we're talking about, right? So, so I'm looking at something. Tell me if this fits into your scheme. I, I just mm-hmm. discovered a, a website called Our Bloggers, and mm-hmm. it is a, a, a website. There's 750 contributors, and it's about tutorials about using R um, for data analysis. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking right now at an article called Employee Flight Risk Modeling Behavior. Um, which goes through in extraordinary detail how one might think about building a flight risk model. Uh, now, it, does that is that what somebody in IRAM would do, or is that an entirely different organization? Well, I think that that's a, a that I think that's part of the software space, right, and part of the. Um, maybe the data science role inside an organization. I think the IRM professional, but again, this is changing. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying this with the, with the idea that, you know, at least who we're serving now is the person would have to decide if they're purchasing or buying into or how they have to maintain that tool, right? I don't think they're the person who's building it. That would be my take on it. Okay. Okay. So, so now there are sort of, it seems to me that there are three technical roles inside of HR all of a sudden. There's the the sort of the the IT acquisition and administration function that you're talking about. There is um, a kind of an ethics question. I'm starting to hear stories of companies that don't ever release an algorithm into the wild in their company until it's been reviewed by legal and technical people and operational people. So there's sort of before we automate a function, we put it through a legal and ethical framework, but the questions are fundamentally technical, right? And And then there's the actual data science function, which is, um, sort of an R&D lab where questions are sorted out before they're deployed. These are not on anybody's yeah. org chart currently. No, I would agree. They aren't. And that's, I mean, I think, you know, when we first started moving to the cloud and even as we started doing artificial intelligence, I think there was this perspective that, oh, well, a, a vendor or someone would create these and all we would have left would be the functional users of the technology. And instead, we've created a whole cadre of other roles and skills that are required to validate and manage the ethics and manage the the multitude of sort of algorithms and buying decisions that go along with that, right, along with building anything that the vendors haven't quite built yet, right? So yeah, it, it, it's amazing to think of, of the amount of work that goes into these um, type of programs 
to get an answer that a human might have just figured out with their gut reaction, right? But if it's a better answer, maybe a less biased answer or an answer that comes with more assurance that it will lead to an outcome, it's worth it for a lot of organizations, right? So, so what do you think it means if what you have to do um, with machine output and recommendations is um, start with the with the assumption that it's wrong? Well, <laughs> I'm I'm. I think that the starting with the assumption that's wrong, I, this is not my expertise. Obviously, you've been doing a lot of studying in this space. Um, I think that's a hard thing for anyone to do. Human beings in general want to trust answers they get. I don't think we're trained or um, brought up to assume that something is wrong. So I think the bigger issue is almost a, a cultural change as much as it is an educational component, right? Well, it's, it it makes for an interesting question, and I wonder what you think Iram's role is in all of this, because because the the there's no there's no peer review academic validation of the intelligence that's being installed in software right now. There's just yeah. the vendor's assertion that it's right. Um, yeah. And I so does, that, I, does yeah. Irem have a, have a, have a, you know, in its sort of acquisition and evaluation functions, does it have a role to play in understanding the legitimacy and validity of um, an assertion made by the vendor about um, the utility of its uh, intelligent recommendations? I think it's a great question to ask. I, I would say that right now the organization is sort of just going through its turnaround, and I don't know that we've gotten that far down the path. But I think, you know, the fact that you need a, a vendor-neutral, right, um, party uh, that isn't focused on financials because, you know, there's there's not a lot of financials in that kind of validation, right? In many cases you might actually not be a bit. Um, yeah, challenging the market as a whole, right? So I think you need something that is a bit more um, sort of altruistic, if you want, right, to do to do that kind of work. And definitely I could see that that would be a place Iron could play a role and be a place that would be of value to both the vendors and the end users if it's done appropriately, right, with an eye towards improving the market and instead of sort of, you know, tearing down anyone, you know, directly. So, yeah, no, I think it's a great question. I, I, I don't know what it would take and the kind of skill sets it would take to do that, but it would be a very valuable, you know, market asset. And yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so congratulations on getting the certification exam platform launched. That's that's a big deal. Yeah, we had a great great team of people working on that. Now, we also so you said you're going to Cornerstone next week. I think it's worth uh, mentioning that Cornerstone is working with Bixel Exchange to launch what they're calling Workforce Ready, which is an online learning program this summer to empower Los Angeles's young, diverse, and underrepresented job seekers. So I'm, I'm hoping this is something that would have expanded. But I think this is really interesting. You know, Cornerstone has, has definitely been one of those sort of vendors who has for a long, you know, they've had a foundation for a long time where they have provided their platform and their volunteer program to organizations around the world at, you know, sort of discounts and, and you know, free access to HR consulting, those type of things with it. Um, but this is focusing on sort of underrepresented workforces and education and training. So it probably has to do more with their learning platform. 
you're going there to talk to them a little bit about bias as well. So does this fit with, with the work that you're going to be doing with them next week? Well, I, I, this this is very interesting. The 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 idea that um, we're now at a point where you can have sort of talent accelerators that shift the um, shift the game. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting, and the fact that it is done by you know this is this is something that w- would have been a government project thirty years ago. Yeah. Um, and so, okay. so, so you know, the, there are questions about because because it's a corporate project and not a government project. The questions about how long it'll last and um, how you tell if it's working. Um, the the interesting thing about government programs is once you start them, it's hard to kill them. Um, <laughs> in in commercial sectors, it's easy to kill, <laughs> or relatively easy to kill a project. But I like the idea. I like the idea. Um, I think there. I think. I think one of the things that they'll start to see is that is that there are class distinctions that are even more biasy than the sort of representational biases, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is underrepresented people, and that's that's that that tends to be categorized by protected protected class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so very distinct categories of, of bias that are managed there. And, and it may be that there is a, a larger thing that transcends those particular biases, which is the difference between, um, oh, you know, it might be as simple as the difference between white collar and blue collar in the old days. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some sort of, there's some sort of, um, Social class difference that that uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see if this addresses that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, because learning is one thing, and providing easy access to learning, but the ability to translate that in a way in which it sort of fits in your environment, and again, not knowing the programs or the tools that they're using, but it seems like they're partnering with a, com- uh, a community organization that that knows the community and understands the community is working from you know, taking them to the next level. So I'm hoping that's the case, but you're right. Um, you know, I, I oftentimes, my favorite thing is I always hear, well, you know, we have this older workforce that's out of work, and if they want to work, why don't they just retrain and reskill? Um, and, you know, especially, you know, when I, I have friends who are, you know, in West Virginia and Virginia and in areas where, you know, there's uh, high levels of unemployment because of, you know, manufacturing or coal mining or other things that have gone out of the industry, and it's just really, you know, when you have to stop and tell people, look, you know, how you might learn and your background and experience in, in, you know, sort of the area where you grew up is so completely different from someone who, you know, spent, you know, their days, you know, open and working in an environment where they weren't sitting at the desk and didn't have to, you know, listen, you know, um, through long periods of, you know, classroom environments where they learned with hands-on. You have to build programs and tools that fit into their environment, right? Um, and that's oftentimes right. not done. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah. Ne- next up, Paycor. So, Paycor, yeah. Do you know, do you know, Stacey, uh, um, the, the CEO over at Paycor, uh, Stacey Browning and all, she's like one of, I think, the oftentimes overlooked female leaders 
um, who's really, really, I think, important in the HR technology space. Um, she runs Paycor, and it's out of the Cincinnati, Ohio area, so a little bit close to my heart because the Ohio connection. Um, but they are continuously growing and improving that HCM application in a way that I just, you know, oftentimes you hear, you know, there's a lot of marketing, a lot of splash about a lot of other technologies and organizations. They're one of those organizations that's just really quiet and steady and keeps growing. There are about 30,000 organizations who are using their application right now. They've purchased Zimble, which is a scheduling offering that will be fully integrated into PayCourse product suite from their perspective. Um, and it's focused on scheduling and, allows, and allowing employees to easily swap schedules. So a really important component of that user experience piece. Um, 14,000 companies come with a Zimble acquisition. Um, and it looks like they have goals to continue to expand the HR space. Uh, you said you know, Stacey. So do you think this, this is just, you know, part and parcel of where they're heading from that perspective? Well, you know, one of the things that I, I think is interesting and is a, is a generally overlooked story in HR tech is that successful payroll companies go on to become successful HR suite providers. That's what happens. And, right, and we're watching we're watching ultimate software make its moves to become um, one of the enterprise software players from its roots in, in payroll and uh, paychecks and Paycor are both following suit each with their different ways and each with their different expressions so so I think it's cool to watch Stacy Browning do her work here she's um, she is assembling um, a long-term company that that it would be smart to hold if you could get an investment I don't know are they public uh, I, I don't believe so, no. But it is, so they have private investments and everything. But yeah, but I think they're. I don't. Um, I should say I, I don't believe it, but I could be wrong on that. So yeah. Okay. Well, well, but but so this is this is in the in the heart of HR tech are these companies whose expertise involves the diligence required to issue payroll without making a mistake, right? So it's a, it's a level of quality that is significantly higher than you need to hit to get uh, talent management right or, uh, or recruiting, which has sort of a lot of slop in the, um, uh, in the data um, with, with payroll, you don't get that option. And so what you see coming out of the roots of co- companies with roots in payroll is this, this real attention to detail that is, that is not necessarily uh, part of the whole ecosystem. Yeah, and, and that attention to detail oftentimes, you know, because I think this is such a smart move by Paycor picking up this application. They know where their end users are, are most engaged, and you find it when you're focused on payroll at the paycheck, at the point at which that user, at the workforce management, at the time in attendance. In those spots, they tend to very carefully realize that they need to create an environment that, that is engaging, which it sounds like they're doing. So I think this is a very smart move by Paycor. So yeah, great. Okay. You know, you mentioned re- you mentioned recruiting and, and sort of sort of the the, the the slop that's often in sort of the recruiting process because it is such a fast moving business. But one of the larger you know, recruiting applications, um, Smart Recruiters, has raised $50 million. And the focus, it seems like, from the announcement, 
is to invest in their artificial intelligence um, as well as their platform here. You know smart recruiters probably fairly well. Um, they've 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 gotten funding before. This is not the first time they've had funding, um, and they're they're very focused, I think, on creating a, a new approach to recruiting. Um, is this you know are we going to see more from smart recruiters in the in the AI space? Do you think? Oh, the the, the people are, the people in smart recruiters who are doing AI are some of the smartest of the business, and so so we're going to see really interesting things come out of them if they get free to do what they're capable of doing. The, the terrain in, in recruiting for AI is pretty well covered. You know, 70% of, of investment dollars in AI and HR go to things in recruiting. And there really just aren't that many things you can do in recruiting. It's a lot of little teeny nuance, a lot of little teeny decisions, but but the fundamental question of is this person right for this job um, and how do you handle the communications processes necessary to make sure that that person is available when you need them and that the, the um, uh, hiring process itself is as hassle-free as possible. Um, um, these are places where you could make real improvements. One of the things I wonder, though, is how is it? How is how is the comparison of this functionality actually going to work? Yeah. Right. So, so, so you can't get very far with the claim that we've got AI embedded in our stuff because what matters is how often it's right, or. Um, how usefully displayed the the probabilistic information is, um, and and so so that there there will be somebody there'll be a category breaker. I don't know if it's smart recruiters. I haven't heard, um, but there'll be a category breaker who figures out how to uh, really visualize the difference between candidates. Yeah. Yeah. At at a level that – I think to your point, though, the most important thing is not just visualizing but also giving you a sense of how that decision was made in a much easier format than the black box picked it, right? Yep. Yep, that's exactly it. So so I'm glad to see they have the money. They have an amazing team um, uh, doing AI. I hope the AI people get all the money. (laughs) There you go. Well, on that note, we've run through our 30 minutes already, John. You were thinking that the day was a little too light on the news. We wouldn't have as enough to talk about, but we didn't even get to Open Sesame uh, raising $28 million. I think that's well worth paying attention to. Open Sesame is one of the, the larger providers of, of, of content in the market uh, that's sort of not part of a, a larger suite or someone else, right? So there's they're someone to probably keep an eye on, and, and there's some definite stuff going on in learning space with a couple of organizations uh, being acquired there uh, with a – Absorb and Torch LMS. So I think the learning space we will probably have more to talk about next week. So, but yeah, big week, lots of stuff going on. Even though it's a, a holiday week, um, and next week I'll be in Barcelona at the Talent Sauce event, and you'll be at Cornerstones event, correct? That's right. That's right. Well, I'll be jealous. Barcelona's on my list. <laughs> I will let you know. My first visit to Barcelona, so I, I'm I'm excited. But um, more importantly, I'm interested in seeing sort of the European take on sort of talent management, which I think has 
as it's a very different and distinct perspective in some cases. And so it'll be interesting to see what they're doing there. I and, agree. And, I can't uh, wait to hear what you learn. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Cornerstone uh, as well. So cool. Okay. So thanks for doing this, Stacey. And thanks for listening in everybody. This has been HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Thanks. We'll see you back here next week and hear those Irish guys again. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.